You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Hopefully by this time you've found our feed on Facebook or YouTube. You're joining us. I want to just begin uh, with a couple announcements. But first of all, really saying to you, Happy Memorial Day weekend. Hope it's a good weekend for you, and we look forward to the time of being back together again. But um, And we just want to take time just to acknowledge and be thankful for those on this weekend, those that have risked their lives for the for the wonderful freedoms we have, even in this country, to keep those freedoms going. We think about our freedom of religion and, and all the sorts of freedoms we have. We're thankful for those who have risked their lives for that. Perhaps this is a weekend where you've gone to visit a particular grave or somebody that you remember you've lost, and, and it's a harder weekend of grief. And I hope that you too, in Psalm 40, can find that deliverance of the Lord, to look on him and to fix your eyes on him. Well, a couple of things by way of announcements. Uh, one is that, praise the Lord, things are opening up. I uh, have sent out, we as elders have sent out an email to you. So if you normally get emails from the church, check your email if you haven't seen that already to update you on our plans and what's kind of, what we're looking towards uh, going, but I can say already, even today, uh, Governor Walls has talked about churches meeting again, and, and of course, the president's wonderful, helpful words to say churches, to call them essential, and we appreciate that. And so we're looking forward to, I think I can say, we are we are looking forward to meeting next weekend, and how that all looks and how that plays out. We will be working as elders this week. You can be praying for us, and look again, keep your email, keep looking there, um, so that we can communicate what that's going to look like uh, for sure. But we're thankful, and we should rejoice uh, for that and look forward and long, not too long. Hopefully this is one of the the last times um, that you might watch this. Although, again, we always want to say if if it's a comfort thing and uh, uh, comfort level or your risk is at such, then to feel free to, to watch as well at home. A couple other things I'll just mention briefly. One is uh, the, the Summer Bible Club that Carrie Scavel is organizing. Uh, that looks to begin on June 16th, and hopefully with some of these announcements, that's looking like a more sure date than maybe it used to look. So June 16th, Tuesday nights from 6.30 to 8 o'clock, um, uh, inviting the kids for some, some Bible studies, kind of a VBS, weekly VBS through the summer, ending on August 4th. Um, Again, she's in need of helpers. If you want to help with that, please get in touch with her. Or if you don't have her information, look in the directory or get a hold of the church uh, through our website or our email address, and uh, you can you, we'll, we'll help you get her information. Let her know that you could be a part of that. She's also organizing a trip to Bangor, Wisconsin, on July 11th to help in the Children's Vision Warehouse. That's a ministry we support, Bogota, Columbia. Uh, so they're loading some loading uh, something there and a shipment to Columbia, doing some other projects. July 11th, again, if you're interested, let Carrie Scavel know on that. And lastly, as we have said every week, thank you again to those that have sent in your tithes, your offerings uh, to the church for the ministry here. 
thank you for that extra step. We sure just appreciate your work of continuing to support this ministry and our church body. So thank you for that. If that's something that, that you haven't done or you'd like to do, again, P.O. Box 428, Leroy 55951 is the address if you want to send it. Or if you have Brandon's address in your church directory, you can uh, use that as well and just send it directly to Brandon Carey Scavel. I think that's the announcements that I have. And since there's really no one else here but George to ask, I think we're, we're, we're good on that. Um, so I invite you, hopefully you've gotten settled into your couch or your kitchen table or wherever you've been watching these and you've got a Bible with you. I want you to turn to the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. Philippians 2.25, as I turn there as well. Yes, we are at the end of a chapter finally, at the end of chapter 2. Woohoo! So uh, we have made it this far, and uh, thank you for accommodating. We just kind of just slowly plod right through, kind of verse by verse, step by step through the book, and here we are at the end of Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. If you're on your way there, I want to show you some some uh, pictures that got sent in, scavels. Thank you again. You sent in Malachi and Molly. Here's, um, I'll try to put this in the feed, but here's from Malachi that drew Timothy for us. We don't know what he looked like, but here's what we think perhaps maybe he looked like. Malachi drew him out there. Last week, we were looking at Timothy, who had a genuine concern uh, for the Philippians. They all sought his own interests. He sought those of Christ and was concerned for them. Thank you, George, for holding that up. Malachi, thank you for reminding us and showing us this. I'll just read this to you. It's from, it's from Molly. Um, I'm actually going to sing it to you. So she, she wrote down two lyrics of two songs. I'm going to sing the first one to you because it's just such a good reminder for us this morning. You can sing along at home in your group and your family. You remember the song? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Thanks, Molly, for the reminder. That's where we need our eyes to be focused on. They tend to focus on a lot of other things. May we, even this morning, at this moment, turn our eyes upon Jesus. And then we just go, thank you, Lord. Just come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. What a great Savior we have that gave his life that we might live with him. Well, she writes on here, I won't sing the other song, but Jesus loves little children, all the children of the world, red, brown, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world, so... Thank you, Molly, for writing that out, Scavels, for sending that in. Others, if you want to do that, please do so. Uh, parents, those adults that are watching that want to remain anonymous, but you have a, you can do artwork, please uh, uh, draw those, send them in. And kids as well, find something to draw on and you can, or just take notes and, and maybe that's part of helping you pay attention. Well, hopefully by this time you're in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 25. I'll be reading through verse 30, reading God's word this morning to us. Here's verse 25. Paul says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother 
and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Would you pray with me as we look to God's word? Father, again, we just come to you and we look to you for this specific time. Lord, you who ordain and providentially ordain and guide each day and each moment have ordained and guided us to be right here, right now, to be listening, to be watching, thinking through this part of Philippians. Lord, we trust all of your scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, all of it, including these verses on Epaphroditus. So, Lord, I thank you for this time, and I pray, Lord, would your spirit just work through my mere words to give you glory and praise and to learn what we need to, to glean what we need to from these pages. So help us. Lord, I pray for those that would be listening later on, perhaps on the podcast as they're driving down the road, or they're going to watch this video. Father, may they not see the preacher. May they see our great God, our great Savior, and your work in the lives of your people. Lord, we thank you for your work. We thank you for saving us through the blood of Jesus, the unblemished lamb who died on that cross that we might look in repentance and faith, putting our trust in you. Thank you for salvation. And we pray for your Holy Spirit to reveal what he needs to reveal through your word right here to us. Give us ears to listen, eyes to see today. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, John Piper, in his book, uh, book on missions called Let the Nations Be Glad, he writes of one named Henry Martin. Story of Henry Martin, born in England, 1781. Henry Martin is not around these days, but he was born in England, 1781. Henry Martin is one who, in his youth, he had turned his back on God, and yet he had, he had made some, some really, in his life, some pretty significant academic achievements. And yet Piper recounts, though, he recounts this of of Henry Martin. He says, the treasure of the world rusted in his hands. It's a good phrase. The the treasure of the world, Henry Martin, who didn't know Christ at the time, it rusted in his hands. The death of his father, the prayers of his sister, the counsel of a godly minister, and the diary of David Brainerd brought him to his knees in submission to God. And so in 1802, Henry decided to become a missionary, age 21. He, he would serve for some time as a preacher's assistant, assistant. And then 1805, he departs for India. So he's from England. He's departing for India. 1805, he's going to be a chaplain with the East India Company. And he arrives in Calcutta on May 16, 1806. 
Piper again says this of him, of his work there once he got to Calcutta. He says, within two years, and I'm skipping a bit, he had translated part of the Book of Common Prayer, a commentary on the parables, and the entire New Testament into Hindustani. He was then assigned to supervise the Persian version of the New Testament. It was not as well received as the other, and his health gave way in the process. So he decided to return to England for recovery and to go by land through Persia in the hope of revising his translation on the way. But he became so sick, however, that he could barely press on. Now here's Henry Martin on his way back home to England, becomes so sick he can't press on. On the way back, Piper writes, he died among strangers in the city of Tokat in Asiatic Turkey on October 16, 1812. He was 31 years old. Was the risk worth it for Henry Martin? I mean, he only served, if you do the math, he only served six years, and seemingly even this Persian New Testament that he was working on wasn't even well received. Should he have gone and faced this? Was it worth it? Perhaps even today as you're watching this or you're listening and you're thinking and you're asking, is walking with Christ worth it? Is it worth the risk and the danger and the hardship to follow Christ? Because it is hard, at times risky, at times dangerous. It's not all songs and floating on clouds in the sky because it's me and Jesus. It is hard, rain pouring, sufferingly hard at times. Thank goodness those times don't always last. Some do for long periods. There are times of relief and rest, but it's generally there's a hardness to being a disciple, a follower of Christ. Well, today we meet Epaphroditus. He's a follower of Christ. He's a risk taker for the kingdom. He's someone Paul presents in kind of the series of portraits. We looked at... Paul, in some ways, is that drink offering for the Philippians, so kind of a portrait of Paul. Last week, really, we talked about a portrait of genuine care of of Timothy and how he cared for the Philippians. Now, this week, we're kind of looking at the portrait of Epaphroditus, this portrait of one who risked life itself for Christ, for their service to Paul. Look then at the text, verse 25. Paul says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. So Paul finds it necessary to send Epaphroditus back, really, to home, back home. And it would seem even here that Epaphroditus is the one, I think that's, that's and I've read this, that's delivering this letter back to the Philippians. So, so Epaphroditus could be the one that we're, we're reading a letter that thankfully Epaphroditus got better and was able to to bring it back to Philippi. Now, we're given descriptions of him here, and they don't need a lot of explanation, but let's just consider first his name itself, the name of Epaphroditus. And as I was studying this week, and I write commentary and write thoughts down, and let me just tell you, Epaphroditus, it's not an easy name. I'm I'm getting Philippians down pretty good on the spelling. Epaphroditus, I always just want to E-P-H, no, it's E-P-A-P-H and, and this sort of thing. It's a big name. It's a long name. 
There's some interesting meaning to this name. One dictionary says uh, it's a personal name meaning favored by Aphrodite. Now, Aphrodite is the term for the Greek goddess, or Venus is a term for the Greek goddess, but favored by this Greek goddess, Aphrodite. Does some of you remember Aphrodite? What kind of that represents? We won't get uh, details here. Consider the goddess of love, fertility, one place a sexual goddess. Yet this one named after a Greek goddess, like I just described, was instrumental in the work of the Lord serving Paul. Did you catch that? Somebody named after a Greek goddess is serving the Lord. Gerald Hawthorne, he comments that though this name contains such a reference to this, this, and I'll quote, Greek goddess of love, he says, no believer, not even the apostle Paul, demanded that this leader of the church change his pagan idolatrous name to something more Christian. Right? He's named Epaphroditus. I'll go on. He says, one reason for such toleration may have been the awareness that a Christian is not one who merely possesses a Christian name. Rather, a Christian is one who practices the Christian life. There's some application here. Your name means far less than your actions, your attitude. Perhaps you have a name you despise or a name, I just, I wish I, why did my parents name me that? Or you look at somebody, perhaps, you look at somebody named Muhammad and you think, oh, and you've got assumptions going on right away. Or others with names. Maybe somebody that was, that's named somebody you had a conflict with 20 years ago and they've got the same name and you go, oh, yeah, I better know who that person is. No. No, we need to be careful to make assumptions based on a mere name. For a name is far less important than who you are and who that person is as a person. So don't let your name define who you are. Be defined by what Paul is going to speak of next here in the text. Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. What an honor to have Paul, the apostle, call you brother. Now he called, I mean, I, I think it's in the in a sense of brother, all of us brothers in Christ. But I, I wonder, and I think reading here, reading some commentary, that this is a close brother relationship. But also to have this apostle Paul call you a, he's a fellow worker, he's a fellow soldier alongside Paul. Regarding that term, fellow soldier, Paul uses that same language in 2 Timothy. He talks about Timothy there. He says to Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in, in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Epaphroditus is not a fellow soldier in the sense of waging physical warfare in his work. They're not, Paul and him are not waging war against the Romans or anything like that. He's a fellow soldier for what? He's not a good soldier of Christ. He's a fellow soldier for Christ. He's on mission. He's a brother, a worker, a soldier on mission for Christ. Now that's what Epaphroditus was to Paul, but he was also something to the Philippians. So there's kind of these two, he's this to Paul, but he's also this to the Philippians. And it would appear here 
I think we can see that Epaphroditus, he had come to Paul on behalf of the Philippians. He's their messenger or he's their minister to Paul's needs. He's sent to serve Paul. So rather than the Philippians here kind of running a credit card or, you know, they wouldn't have that, but, but or writing a, a check of missionary support, you know, here you go, Paul, we hope, hope things go well with you, that sort of thing. They actually send somebody, a real person, Epaphroditus, to Paul. And so somehow Paul's needs are made, made known to the Philippians, and they send Epaphroditus, and I think he brings with him some supply. It's in chapter 4. We'll look at that later on as we get to that chapter. But some sort of supplies, gifts maybe were sent by Epaphroditus, but he ministers as an arm of the church in Philippi. So beyond this, we have very little background for Epaphroditus. But I think here we've got all we need. It's all that God gives us in this little section. He's not really mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. We just see he's a dear fellow laborer for Christ alongside Paul. He's a servant sent by the church at Philippi, a missionary sent out to Paul, if you will. But service on behalf of Christ, being a soldier or a worker, is not without its hardships or dangers, is it? For Epaphroditus, he faces quite a few things in service to Christ. Look again at the text, verse 26 and 27. Paul says, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I come up here counting about three different danger, hardships that face Epaphroditus. See if you can see him with me. There's a certain sense of, of uh, the ESV's got longing or, or a sense of homesickness. There's a sense of anxiousness, distress, and there's ultimately illness. Look at the first one, longing. That's what the ESV has here. Uh, he's been longing for you all. One commentator deems him homesick. He's been away. He missed the Philippians, Epaphroditus did. He longed for those who sent him. And the work of Christ has taken many a missionary away from home, away from family, away from familiar settings, and out for the work of Christ. It's a hardship. It's a longing. You don't get to be at every birthday party or different things that, that, that ones would, would celebrate with. They're apart from that. There's a longing. It's a hardship. But Epaphroditus was also distressed. I think you could put in there the word anxious. He's been anxious because you heard that he was sick or, or that the Philippians heard that he was ill. Now, this brings us up to that, that third aspect of hardship, that of illness. So let's look at his illness and then come back to that thought on anxiousness. So look at verse 27 again, just the first part of it. It says, indeed, he was ill near to death. Paul says, yes, you, you, you heard he was sick. Do you know how sick he was? He was sick to the point of death. This world of sickness and disease was just different at this time. I mean, they certainly didn't ha- did not have the advantages we have and, and kind of what's, you know, surprising is coronavirus. We don't have a vaccine yet, you know, like we've got these cures or 
presumably cures for for everything. And and you know what I mean. We don't have cures for everything, but so many things. We've got a medicine for that, a treatment for this, that sort of thing. Not so back at this time. Not like we can quickly treat them now. I don't know. We don't know what kind of illness Epaphroditus had. It could have been anything. Paul's not getting into those details, but he lets the Philippians know and us He lets us know just how close to death Epaphroditus had come. Maybe it was from his travels. Maybe he picked up a bug that that almost killed him. I mean, there there was danger of this illness, but there was also this anxiousness, this distress. So for Epaphroditus, the latest news anyone in Philippi had was that he was sick and that a Epaphroditus here, he desires to clarify. He wants to make it known to them, no, I'm okay, I'm really, I'm fine, I'm better. It's as if Epaphroditus can can kind of feel their anxiety for his own well-being. He wants them to know I'm okay. And I think there's an aspect here that shows us the love of Epaphroditus to those that sent him. He loves the Philippians as well. He's anxious for his people back home. He hopes, he hopes that they hear hey, I'm okay. It's okay. And so he's going to them. He loves them. He wants them to know as soon as possible that yes, he was sick, but he's better. And in fact, he's better because why? Because God had intervened. Look at verse 27 again. Do you see that? Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on Not only, Paul says, not only on him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. There we see here a mercy in the sense of God, God's kindness. All men, all men and women, due to sin's effects, we are destined to die. Death has spread to all men because because of the curse of Adam and Eve, disobeying God in the garden, eating what was forbidden, and death spread. And we continue to face that reality. Whether it's COVID or not, death is imminent. This particular virus can pass, but death still remains until Christ return for us. It's just that death is closer to some than others. None of us know. None of us know our times, our days. But here, here, it is God's mercy that both spared Epaphroditus from dying And then as we see, it spared Paul from sorrow upon sorrow. And I I think there's a sort of shorthand in Paul's use of, but God had mercy on on him, a shorthand to say that Paul sees the hand of the Lord in all things. He sees the Lord's mercy bringing Epaphroditus back from the point of death. He sees the Lord's mercy in Paul not having sorrow upon sorrow. And God's mercy continues to operate today in a thousand ways different ways. Have you seen it lately? If God was merciful to save us as sinners, he continues to be merciful in our lives. One commentator, Walter Hansen, says this, this juxtaposition of death, that is that Epaphroditus was near to death, but God with the mercy, this juxtaposition of death and God gives God all the glory for the recovery from illness. The focus is God-centered. goes on to say, all human actions are obscured from view. And what Paul's saying, he's not saying, 
how Epaphroditus got better or through prayers, that sort of thing, is what the commentator is saying. He's saying those human actions, they're obscured. Only God's merciful action is seen. God had mercy on him. And Paul emphasizes the sovereign mercy of God. Mercy of God. Perhaps you today need to remember God's mercy. Remember Lamentations 3? Many of you have memorized it. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's mercy does not merely save alone, not giving us what we deserve. And he pulls us out of that mud pit, the grave of sin, but his mercy is with us throughout all of our life until we be with Christ. And God's mercy was here in them. So that's the situation where Paul is. Presumably Rome here. Seeing Epaphroditus better, wanting to send him back. He's getting better by God's mercy. I don't have the sorrows I would have had if we lost him. That's in Rome. Now in verse 28, there's verse 28 in the text, there's a short of, sort of shift going on. A sort of preparation now by Paul for Epaphroditus to return back to the Philippians for this return to him. Look at verse 20 or to them. Verse 28. I am the more eager to send him therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So Paul, he's not reluctantly sending Epaphroditus back to the Philippians. He's eager to do it. And Paul gives the purpose here so that it's for their rejoicing and Paul's relief of grief or sorrow. I think Paul sees that Epaphroditus, his own people, they're going to rejoice to see him again. He's been serving Paul side by side for the gospel as a brother, this fellow worker, soldier. And now he wants the Philippians to see him again, that they would rejoice to have him back. Paul would be spared his sorrow, I think, from holding on tight to him. So Paul, by God's grace, he can seemingly, he lets go of this helper for the joy of others, for the joy of the Philippians. He's willing to say, In a sense, I'm giving him back to you all. But then verse 29 gives two commands. Look at these in verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, honor such men. So Paul now gives, he gives an instruction on how to receive him. So presumably he's coming back. How do you receive him? You receive him with joy and hold him in honor. Now, you have a question while you look through here. Would would they not be joyful uh, to have Epaphroditus back? Isn't that, I mean, aren't they going to rejoice? Why does Paul need to command them to have joy? Wouldn't they honor him? Now, this is only, I'm going to go into some speculation here. But perhaps, just perhaps, they would look at him being sent home, Epaphroditus, and perhaps conclude that his mission had failed. Can you see that, perhaps? Paul's commanding them, rejoice, honor this one. Why does he need to command? Because perhaps they looked at Epaphroditus coming home and saying, 
man, that was kind of cut short, or you didn't fulfill all the way, or all maybe those sorts of thoughts. Perhaps they thought he was weak for having gone to the mission field, and now he's got to return home, or he got sick on the mission field. I mean, isn't that kind of show some weakness? We don't know. But if, if, if that's the case, and again, it's speculation, if that's the case, Paul says, no, no, receive him in the Lord with joy, honor him. And I think that's instructional, even for our own missionaries and missions as a whole. I think we're drawn, we want to see that success. How many people came to the Lord? Or, or wasn't that exciting? And for somebody to come home with an illness or to have just gotten on the field and they come back in a year and we go, what a waste. That wasn't worth it. Oh, we know so little of what God is doing. We want to rejoice in those that go out to risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. We want to celebrate that. Rejoice. We want to honor them. Let me just pull in a plug. I don't know if this is in my notes, but just when missionaries, when we gather again, and we do have missionaries, I hope we come together when they come here and we welcome them back and we encourage what we can for them because they face hardships and dangers in ways we, we don't even know. Well, whether or not the mission was successful, we want to receive workers joyfully like Epaphroditus again, like I said. But let's look on to verse 30. Look again to verse 30, this last kind of verse that really uh, kind of brings things together. Paul says, for he, Epaphroditus, he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, if you look at the text carefully, think about it a little bit, just like we did last week with, with Timothy, we find Paul equating a horizontal action with the greater meaning. Do you see it here? He's equating the work of Christ is equated with completing what was lacking in the Philippians' service to Paul. You see that in the text? He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So Epaphroditus' work for Christ was the same as saying it was the Philippians' service to Paul. That makes sense to you. So as the Philippians sent Epaphroditus, he was doing the work of Christ. So that work for Christ, it's not some sort of kind of mystical, just mystical experience or just a spiritualized work. It's actually going, serving, doing real things, ministering to others. And we, like Epaphroditus, must be willing to risk, as it says here, his life. He risked life to complete that service for Christ, risked his life for Christ, that we would be willing to do the same for the cause of Christ. And we want to honor those who do that as well, that we would be willing to die like Christ or die to self, to be humble in obedience, which then here's what one commentator makes this observation. I think you'd find this interesting with Epaphroditus thinking about Christ's own humiliation and exaltation back in the, that other part of chapter 2, verses basically 6 through 11. Think of the connection here. Here's what, here's what he writes. He says, The repetition of the word death in the story of Epaphrodites emphasizes the parallel to the narrative of Christ who was obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
this striking echo of the Christ hymn, remember Philippians 2, 6 through 11, Christ hymn in Paul's account of the illness of Epaphroditus sets this servant of Christ before the Philippians as one who clearly reflects Christ, the one who endured death as the servant of God. Having the mind of Christ is going to take us to risk on account of his work. Jesus says, follow me. Following Christ at times will look like dying for Christ. It's a death, whether it's a death to self or a persecution type death. There's a death going on that we might live for Christ. This verse makes clear that the risk Epaphroditus took on account of Christ, what was that risk? He faced death. He risked life itself to be of service to the Philippian church, to Paul. Again, one commentator, Ralph Martin, he says this, in regard to this word for risk, you see it in your text, risking his life, it's a gambling term. Epaphroditus staked his life for the service of Christ in the interest of the apostle and on behalf of the Philippian community whose lack of help was unavoidable since they were miles away. Such a word brings its own challenge and rebuke to an easygoing Christianity which makes no stern demands and calls for no limits of self-denying, self-effacing sacrifice. It's a rebuke to easygoing Christianity, which makes no stern demands. It's a rebuke to that. And it calls for no limits of self-denying, self-effacing sacrifice. Do you have a limit on your sacrifice for Christ? I'll do this for him, but when it gets this hard, I'm out of here. I think that's what he's saying. No limits to that. To deny all of self for the sake of Christ. To risk it all for Christ. For me to live is Christ, Paul would say. To die is gain. And perhaps you have already come to realize that walking with Christ and seeking to serve him is not, as we said before, the easy road. It's a road of hardship, perhaps anxiousness. I know we're not to be anxious. There's homesickness, perhaps, or illness. You remember Henry Martin that we talked about in the beginning, the 31-year-old? who died of sickness, went to the mission field in 1806. He was dead by 1812. Listen to his diary on his way to India. Now, this is on his way out to the mission field. Thinking about hardship, risk. He says, I found it hard to realize divine things. I was more tired with desires after the world than for two years past. Just talking about the hardships, the seasickness and the smell of the ship made me feel very miserable. And the prospect of leaving all the comforts and communion of saints in England to go forth to an unknown land to endure such illness and misery with ungodly men for so many months weighed heavy on my spirits. My heart was almost to break, what he says. And over and above even that, he was separated from the woman he loved, Lydia Grenfell, whose mother would not consent to their marriage. For five years, John Piper in his book says, says that uh, Henry Martin held out hope that things might change. 
But as I said, he died. Henry Martin died on his return trip to England. He had this hope, maybe you'll see Lydia. But he died on that return trip to England. It sounded like just a waste, an unfounded risk. Piper writes this as we come to a close here. He says, Martin never saw her, Lydia, again on this earth. But dying was not what he feared most, nor seeing Lydia what he desired most. His passion was to make known the supremacy of Christ in all of life. Near the very end, he wrote, whether life or death be mine, may Christ be magnified in me. It sounds like what Paul would say, doesn't it? Martin said this, if he has work for me to do, I cannot die. Is Christ worth our risk? Absolutely, he's worth it. He's a treasure. And may we be people of God who gladly give our lives like an Epaphroditus to risk them in the service of others. And perhaps maybe even today on this day as you're watching this, thinking about missions and going somewhere, God would call you even for that vocation to go overseas somewhere to serve the Lord. Or he's calling you to risk sharing the gospel with a neighbor or in your life, in your sphere, to show Christ, to live for Christ. And then may we honor those that are doing that, that are risking their lives for Christ. May we honor them as well, to rejoice, honor such ones, as Paul says, honor such men. Let me pray for us. Lord, this virus has shown us in this country how quickly things can change. Our Christian life has been, in this particular country, relatively risk-free, though there are risks and there are hardships. Lord, prepare us as a church for even greater risk, for greater hardship, for greater persecution. But may that, may that not be the, the goal is to get out of persecution or to or to just get back to normal even. May our goal be like Henry Martin, who said, may Christ be magnified in me. May that be our goal, Lord, for for you, Jesus, to be magnified. Magnified in our houses, in our lives, where we're at. I pray that. I pray we'd be a church, Lord, that would be a church willing to take risks for the work of Jesus Christ, for the work of you. We pray this all for your blessings on those hearing this, listening, desiring to go forward in this way. May you enable and strengthen them for the task. Have mercy on us, Lord, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.